Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. Today, this is episode 26. I'm very grateful to have a lot of guests coming to my show and talk about adversity, tools, and then a gift that came from the adversity. Before I introduce you to my new guest tonight, I want to introduce you to my book, which is A Gift from Adversity. I published this book in 2020, and the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. I have experienced all of this growing up in Japan, and after I came to America, and I have done many things in my life, and one of it was being a motivational speaker. And people asked me, do you have a book? But I didn't. So I decided to publish a book. And I have a shout out to BookLogix in Georgia, who is my publisher. And after I published my book, a lot of people told me they are also victim of sexual abuse, domestic violence, which some people I had no idea of. Also, I have people who reached out to me even from different countries, different states, in the middle of their crisis and asking for help. And I felt compelled to create a platform where people can talk about the adversity and tools and a gift that came from it. So today we have a guest all the way from Arizona and her name is Tarina Maldonado. Tarina, thank you so much for being here tonight. Hi, Drew. Thank you so much for having me. I love the whole concept of your podcast of sharing things that we have triumphed over and the tools and the the gifts that we have created for those. I think it's a beautiful concept. Thank you so much for saying that. And thank you so much for sharing your time and then willing to share your story tonight. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So can you please tell our audience your name and then what you do? Yeah, so I'm Tarina Maldonado, and I am a public speaker, like you mentioned, sharing your story. I also do the same thing, and I also am a life coach and a facilitator for corporate trainings. Okay, and how can people uh, reach out to you, find about your work? Do you have a website? Do you have a social media handle? I do. Thank you for asking. My website is my name, TarinaMaldonado.com. So that's pretty easy to find. And then on Instagram, same thing, Tarina Maldonado. And Facebook, you can search me up there with my name as well. Wonderful. And then what kind of things are on your website? Well, it's still a little bit baby. It needs some work. <laughs> But it just has a little bit of information about myself and what I do and what I offer. Yeah. And what are your focus when you especially doing life coaching? So I really love this kind of will fall into the gifts um, when we get to that point. But I really love helping people who are going through a transition, whether that be stepping out of a toxic relationship, transitioning to, you know, out of a, a job that didn't bring them joy transitioning in a relationship in some way or another, just really helping people to navigate those transitions. Because I think as survivors of abuse, we're, we're very 
acutely aware of how difficult a transition is because you have to transition from being that victim into surviving. And a lot of those tools that I used, I found to be very helpful to others in many different areas of life as they're transitioning to different things that bring them greater joy. Got it. So people who are listening to our live, uh, they are welcome to comment and then ask some questions to Tarina um, by typing the comment as well. So without uh, further notice, let's just dive into our topic, which the first question is, what was your greatest adversity? So the word greatest is kind of what stood out to me because like many people, there's been many moments of great adversity for me. Um, and I think some of them kind of lead to each other. So as I've thought about our conversation together and what to share, um, I thought, we'll just start at the beginning. <laughs> so I was born in a family uh, with a dad and a mom that both come from dysfunctional and abusive homes. And so there's this cycle of generational abuse and trauma that they did not have the tools or knowledge to know how to heal and fix. And so that got passed on to, to me and my siblings. I'm the oldest of seven. And so we endured um, child abuse, physical, emotional, um, verbal. There was sexual abuse in our home. And um, it wasn't until I was 18 that my parents ended up getting divorced. And so it was my entire childhood um, and teen years that, that I had to try and navigate this home where it felt like every day the, the rules of the game changed. There was this game that I was playing, but I didn't know what the rules were, so I could never win at the game. So um, after I turned 18, I, I moved out and um, and my first boyfriend, um, I ended up being, um, sexually assaulted. And that is in large part because I wasn't able to recognize the red flags of an abusive relationship because all I had known was an abusive relationship. And so that just kind of compounded. And I found myself in this really, really kind of dark spot of, I'm going to end up with a family and a home life exactly like what I grew up in if I don't change something. And so I went to a therapist for the first time at 18 and that really was helpful in kind of giving me a springboard to do some good healing on my own. And, um, and that's what I was able to do was kind of work on, on doing some own, some personal healing on my own. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm very sorry that you went through this. And for people who do not understand the magnitude of just the word sexual abuse itself, it is just something that you cannot like describe. And for me, it took me like six years of counseling to even say like the word father without crying because she was my perpetrator. So you said 
you start to get abused within the home and then this game changed changed and the rules can you please describe a little bit more in depth of what was going on in your household and then how much of the damage now when you look back were you enduring that time yeah that's a great question so um my dad has been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and bipolar disorder and i think narcissism is this this catchphrase that people like to throw around and accuse everybody of being a narcissist um, and there is a difference between somebody who has narcissistic traits and somebody who truly has narcissistic personality disorder. And especially when it's a parent, what that means is that you can do nothing right. They are always right. They never do anything wrong. The expectations are for perfection. And if you don't achieve perfection, then there's consequences. And it's all, you're always made to feel like you're the one who's doing something wrong. And your any abuse that you receive is your own fault. I remember my dad one time saying that he loved me too much not to, to beat me. Um, and so, so for an example, like it was, I mean, there was physical abuse as well, but I feel like the mental, emotional abuse is what leaves the deeper wounds. Um, and so, for example, there was one time when we were eating dinner as a family and my parents were putting the food on our ta- on the plates. And there, um, there was a salad and there was mashed potatoes and I don't remember what else there was, but there wasn't enough room for everything to just be on the plates nicely. And so my dad was serving the salad and he was just putting it on top of the mashed potatoes and gravy and it was making the salad soggy and I didn't want my salad to be like soggy with gravy and so in my head I'm trying to figure out how to not get a soggy salad and so I think well he's serving the salad so maybe I'll ask not to have the mashed potatoes because then he still gets to serve me my salad and so I asked you know for no mashed potatoes and he looked at me and he's like why don't you want mashed potatoes and I knew I was in trouble at that point. And I was like, well, I don't want my salad to be soggy. And he picked up the bowl of salad and threw it at me across the, across the table. And it really is such a small thing. It's not that big of a deal. But for me at that moment, I think I was probably like 14 or 15. It was just, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Because I realized in that moment I would never be able to figure out how to make him happy. Like I'd spent my whole life trying to figure out how to keep from getting in trouble and how to keep him happy, how to keep him from, you know, exploding. And in that moment, I realized there's nothing I can do. I'm never going to be able to figure that out. And that is kind of what it's like to live with somebody who's emotionally abusive is you just, can never win. You can never figure out a way to make them happy because they never will be happy. I can completely relate to you. And I'm very sorry. When my mother confronted my father after like 20 years later of the initial sexual abuse, he said, I started to look like her. That's why he did what he did. 
there was no apology, there was no justice, and narcissistic behavior justifies everything. Yeah, there's a lot of gaslighting involved where they try and minimize what you are experiencing and make it seem like you're crazy for feeling that way and it couldn't be that way and it's all your fault that you feel that way. And did you have any ally? Did you have anybody that you were able to talk to, your siblings or close friends when this was all happening? Well, I think for a long while, I just kind of thought that the way our home was, was normal because that's all that I knew. And so it definitely wasn't until I was in school, probably later elementary school, when I would have friends come over which was very, very rare. But whenever they come over, they'd be like, why is this happening? Or why is this like this? And that's when I started to realize, maybe this isn't normal. Um, so for a long time, I just kind of thought that that's the way a family is supposed to be, the way a family was. Um, but definitely my siblings, we, we kind of looked out for each other as best that we could. But even then, there was only so much that we could do to help each other out without bringing repercussions down upon ourselves even greater. So in a sense, it was a little bit of a fend for yourself, but we did try our best to kind of help each other when and where we could. But I think as soon as I realized that this wasn't normal, I also realized that it, or not necessarily realized, I felt as though it wasn't safe to tell anybody. Because as anybody who's experienced child abuse knows, as a child, you internalize what's happening and it, it's your fault. It feels like your fault. And so you don't want anybody else to know how bad things are because that will make you bad. And so I would say of support outside the home, I don't really feel like I had anybody that I could turn to and that was a really good ally. It is so difficult to even realize that you are getting abused when your household is the danger restaurant zone. And then I would say later on in my life, more and more I thought about it or like, you know, get a perspective after counseling, after being a public speaker like yourself, then I started to realize more and more that was not okay. But as much as we hate to see this, I feel it's common and I feel so many victims are out there and they don't know it because normalizing it is because it's their life and there is no comparison and there's no escape. Yeah, and it really truly takes a lot of courage to look at what you've experienced and not minimize it, to not say, well, I mean, it wasn't so bad. I mean, look at so-and-so. They've had it so much worse. Or, you know, listen to a podcast like this and be like, well, you know, at least my parents weren't as bad as Tarina's. It takes a lot of courage to say, what I experienced was really bad. And it was wrong. And it really hurt and damaged me. That's a very courageous thing for somebody to say. Because when you say that, to somebody else or to yourself, then you, 
you have to step into this space of also acknowledging that that you probably need to get some help to heal those things. So I know you mentioned about the relationship that you had after you kind of got out of the situation. And when did it realize that you were kind of in a bad situation in the relationship? Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, I, I wish that I could say that I had ended the relationship right after that happened, but I did not. I took the blame on myself. At that time, I didn't even realize that what had happened had been sexual assault, partly because of being growing up in this abusive home with no examples of healthy relationship. But I also was raised in a high demand religion that was a very, very strong purity culture where it's the woman's responsibility to be clean and pure and to not be a temptress for the men and to not dress inappropriately because you might cause a man to think inappropriately. And so after it happened, I actually went and repented to my, my church leader for what had happened. And it wasn't until the Me Too movement where I consciously, where I learned what consent was and, and really learned and accepted, wow, okay, so that's what happened. Because I knew at the time that I hadn't wanted to have sex but I didn't understand consent. And so it still felt like I had done something wrong and I internalized that I had done something wrong. And so here I was, it was like, I don't know, like 15, 16 years later, I'm a mom of three kids and I'm having to process a sexual assault that happened over a decade ago. It was very interesting to try and to navigate that. And I remember one of the things that that was hardest for me to process was this, like, how did you not know? How could you have been sexually assaulted and not know that? And so it took some time and some therapy for me to realize, you know, the reasons why and to take the blame off of myself because I had held that blame for far too long and really process what had happened. I'm very sorry to hear that. And as a victim myself from child sex abuse, that had happened to me in my adult uh, life. And then until my friend told me, Julie, that is called sexual assault. And I didn't even realize because the sexual violation was everyday thing for me growing up from three men, my dad and two uncles, pretty much every day since four years old. And I thought it was normal. It was like a tickling game or whatever. So then I was just so numb. I was just, I didn't even know what sexual abuse was until I came to this country. I didn't even know what PTSD was until I was 21. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, if there is no education around this, there's no if there's no advocacy around this, the perpetrator will take advantage of you. And then they will say, this is a game. This is a tickling game. This is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then we we would never learn. So the part of it is numbing yourself. So a lot of times people do not understand for the victim of the sexual abuse or domestic violence, especially when it was in your childhood, 
they tend to numb and then play dead and not feel anything. So one of the biggest challenge while doing the counseling was to connect the event and emotion. There was a huge gap. So I don't know if you, if you could relate. When people say something bad or yell at you, it triggers me, but the anger doesn't come until later, like a week after. And it took me so long for me to be able to connect the moment of whatever the insult that's happening to me to connect my anger. It was just numb. And then that's kind of how I survived my trauma and abuse by numbing myself and then being a la la land and not thinking about moment. And that led me to completely numb and a completely disassociation of event and emotion. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely um, the numbing and the disassociation is something that really is essential to be able to survive. When you're a child, you can't feel all of that. That's too much. And so it's a protective thing that that survivors have to do. And so in that moment, it's good. But once we're out of those situations and we're in safe spaces where it's okay to feel our emotions and it's okay to express our emotions, we have to learn how to stop disassociating, stop blocking those feelings and start allowing those feelings in. And it can be really scary thing to do. It can be really scary and it can be hard for some people to understand how it can be scary to feel happy and how it can feel scary to feel joyful, but it can be scary to feel any emotions when you've so long tried not to feel anything. And when you open yourself up to any emotions, then it can bring in some of those painful emotions that we have to, to feel through and process through to be able to not get triggered or to be able to bring the moment and the emotion together or to even be able to say like, oh, I'm feeling a lot of heart palpitations. I'm feeling this, this pit in my gut and to realize these are your physical responses to an emotion and be able to put those together and to associate your physical responses with your emotions as well. It's very interesting because I've learned these languages after doing counseling or being a journalist advocating for other people. But I, like 20 years ago, I would have no idea why I was having panic attack. I had no idea why I couldn't eat for a week. I couldn't sleep for a week. And like it took me a long time to really discover what was happening in my brain and then how I was trying to survive like do you recall at some point that you felt like okay I think I understand what happened and then now I'm kind of the other side of it do you do you have any pivotal moment that's a really good question um I don't know that I can pinpoint one specific moment where I felt like I was on the other side of it. But I do remember a moment where I realized that 
my life was in my hands. My healing was in my hands and the choice to live a happy life was mine. And it was after my parents were separated and um, I went to see some friends and we got there late and I walk in and my friend's like, hey, how are you? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'm fine. And my friend very empathetically looked at me. She's like, well, why? What's wrong? And I was like, well, we were late and like my parents are getting divorced. And then I realized like, these are just circumstances and I don't have to be in this like, oh, life is just kind of miserable moment. Like I realized that the choice for happiness was on me and I could choose to stay in this space of, of a victim or I could choose to rise above that and, and be a survivor. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, that can um, shift to my second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome. And then I like this part of the question a lot because when I started this show, Trina, I had no idea where it's going. And I had 25, I guess this is episode 26. And I feel like everybody who came on my show had very unique techniques and tools that they used to overcome the adversity. One guest uh, was saying that she went to this rage room and then broke everything. I have wanted to do that. That looks so fun. <laughs> and I actually found near my house that has that service. I booked my session next week, so I can't wait. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to highlight this was because I am a survivor and I've tried so many modalities to heal myself. And then no matter how much I tried different things, nothing really clicked. I'm sure a lot of things has helped me and it led me to where I am right now. But I couldn't really recommend it like this completely worked but is there anything that you tried that worked to overcome your trauma yeah so I think kind of to the point that you're sharing is that we're all different and we all heal in different ways and um, I love that you said that you've tried so many things I have tried so many things and to me that's kind of what makes a survivor is you don't give up when the first thing doesn't completely heal you because it's a journey. Um, so to the things that have helped, one of the biggest things I did is I moved across the country to some place where nobody knew who I was. And I did this very mindfully with the intention of discovering who I was. Because for my whole life, I'd had to play the part of this perfect daughter, the perfect sister. Um, for all my life, people knew me as Tarina, who came from the poor family, or Tarina, who was the oldest of all of these siblings, Tarina, who was bright and bubbly and talkative. And for the first time, I was going where people only knew me as Tarina after I introduced myself, they had no preconceived idea of who I was. And so I very mindfully took the time to try and get in touch with 
who I was and who I wanted to be. And that was really helpful because I think that as survivors of child abuse, we, we don't often take that time to really figure out who we are. We just jump into being whoever needs us to be our partner, our boss, our friends. We will, we'll be whoever they need us to be. And we never, a lot of us, it takes a long time to really sit down and figure out who we are. So that was a really beautiful gift that I gave myself um, of moving somewhere where nobody knew me. And I could really take a moment to figure out who I was. I've also, I love yoga. Um, I find it to be very, very healing. And on that vein, I really like meditations, although I have ADHD, so I have to use guided meditations. I'm not so good at just laying there and being in the silence. Um, and I've also really enjoyed breath work, which has been um, really healing in physically experiencing some of my emotions and releasing some of those. That's been helpful. I love when I start to feel disconnected to just get out in nature. There's been plenty of times where I've literally just gone and sat in my backyard for 10 minutes and soaked up the sunshine and I let it re-energize me and let it help me. Um, and journaling. Journaling has been hugely helpful to just be able to pour all of those emotions, those thoughts, those experiences out of me and let them go. And then they're there, but I don't have to have them in me anymore. And so just letting them go has been really helpful. And another thing that has been hugely, hugely helpful for me is finding connection and giving voice and words to my story. Um, I feel that a lot of times when we've had great adversity or trauma, there's so much shame that surrounds that that we carry. And when we speak our experience, a little, a layer of the shame can disappear. And so being able to speak it has been really helpful for me in my healing and owning my story and what I've overcome but also in creating connection with other people and being able to be validated, to know that I'm not alone, to find support from people who, although they haven't experienced exactly what I have, because there's nobody on this planet who's experienced exactly what I have, they've experienced similar things. And so they can really provide empathy, knowing what it's like to have to have overcome such great things to to be in a place where you're thriving and they understand that and so that's that's really been key for me also so i really like the yoga and the breath work are very somatic i really find somatic practices to be very very healing for me is there any breath work that you use that you can share with our audience shoot there is not. I've done um, practices with a breathwork facilitator. I've done some sessions. Yes. And I've also gone to group um, breathwork. Um, also sound baths. Also, Those often are kind of, they go hand, hand in hand. And I feel like that's along that same line of the somatic healing that really just helps me feel grounded and healed in a physical and emotional space. What is somatic healing? So it's a little bit of a newer, um, not necessarily newer um, concept, but somatic things would be like yoga and, and those kind of things. But there's also um, 
you can get certified. I just did uh, training in somatic experiencing and it's, um, you can go to, I believe it's somaticexperiencing.com. I believe that's the website. If not, just Google somatic experiencing and there you can find different therapists that are, are trained in it. Um, and it's just being able to see the body and see where emotions might be stored. So if you've ever read The Body Keeps Score, it kind of goes hand in hand with that philosophy that emotions can get stored in our body. And as we physically release them, we can find emotional healing as well. That is very interesting. It really is. It's really fascinating um, to see the connection between chronic illness and chronic disease and an emotion like trauma that has not been healed and to see how people can really heal from these physical ailments that they've had for quite some time by processing the emotional traumas that they've got stored. So you mentioned about sharing you sharing your story has somehow helped or healed you. How did, how would you describe, how do you describe that? I think first and foremost, um, just being able to give words to your experience helps you to be able to hear it, to heal it. You know, kind of like if a child is feeling anxious or scared, if you give them the opportunity to put words to what they're scared for, it might help them to not be so scared anymore. And so being able to even just say, because I remember at one point being like, yeah, my dad's really strict. Yeah, my dad's not that nice. And I remember the first time I used the words, my dad was abusive. And what that felt like. And the first time it felt very scary and very unsafe because I'd experienced so much gaslighting within my own home that it was almost like I was waiting for somebody to be like, was it really that bad? Are you sure it was abuse? Are you sure it wasn't just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then as I used it more and people didn't question that or, or try and, you know, gaslight my situation and say that what I experienced isn't what I experienced. I was able to really own that. Yes. What I experienced in my home was abuse. And I think just like with addiction they say that the first step to recovery is acknowledging that you have a problem right and so just like with addiction with trauma the first step to recovery and healing is being able to acknowledge that you've that you've been hurt and being able to look at that and see that and so speaking that really helps you to do that and then also as i would talk about things I would feel myself letting go. I could literally just feel the shame releasing as I would speak these things and be met with empathy and acceptance from other people and not be met with, you know, questioning or judgment. So certainly, you know, as you take to, as you start to take steps into giving voice to your story and your experiences, you want to make sure that you're, you're doing that with people earned the privilege to hear that and to people who are safe and who you know are going to value you and they're going to 
you know, mirror back what they've heard and support you and, and hold space for you. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I have experienced that myself. And just a different example, for instance, when I first got divorced, I didn't, I didn't tell many people, but when I told some people, I, when I started to share, I didn't realize so many people had divorced before. And then when I shared my miscarriage experience, I didn't realize how many people had experienced miscarriage. And when I shared my sexual abuse experience, child sex abuse experience, I had no idea that so many of us are victims. And I had no idea this person, oh, Julia, I, I'm, I'm with you, or like, I'm part of me too. Or what? Like, I had no idea. I liked what you said about validating your story and then kind of empowering yourself and then giving the word to what happened. So for instance, if you have cancer, if you have broken leg, there's no stigma of saying that, oh, I have broken leg. But there's so much stigma of saying, oh, I have mental health issue. I have panic attack. I have PTSD, rather than people just say, are you okay? Like people might judge you, especially in Japan, we might lose our job because there's so much of stigma that people think you're crazy, but it's not crazy. It is the way that we cope and then the way that we don't know so much tools or not so much talk around it, therefore not so many people know what to do. And then they scare away, oh, you must be crazy, but it's not. And for instance, if you have fever, if your child is going through fever, you go to CVS and get Tylenol or ibuprofen and then to reduce the fever. But inside of the brain, when the limbic parts of the brain due to the trauma trigger fires up, and then when the cognitive part shuts off and it completely gets dark and you can't function it, we don't yet to know how to attack this fever and reduce it quickly. And then that's when I think a lot of people struggle with finding the modality and trying out because we have yet to know the Tylenol or ibuprofen, like a simple solution to it. Yeah. But it is really exciting, the research that's being done um, in mental health, the fact that we now know about neuroplasticity and that the brain can heal itself. Just to know that that's possible is really, really exciting and is really hopeful as somebody who has to try and heal themselves. I just, as you were talking, it reminded me of another, another tool, and it's one that I've at times felt hesitant to like share with people because I felt like there could be judgment, but I love self-help books. <laughs> and I feel like I've been able to do so much healing on my own from reading what other people have had to say about healing, about thriving, about overcoming, about living in a positive way. And so certainly therapy helps you know, a professional therapist 
but there's also a great value to kind of taking control of your own healing. And just like we talked about how there's so many things that a person can do, you're, you're going to know exactly what's going to be most helpful to you. You're going to feel drawn to something. When I first heard about breath work, I was drawn to that. And then I found it very healing. I've heard about um, different things that people have used for healing. And I'll hear about it over and over. And it just doesn't have that pull to me. I'll, I'll, I'll think it's amazing that they've found so much success with it. I have a friend who, who uses the hypnotherapist. And she swears by that technique and says that it's been so super helpful. And I'm not discrediting that or her experience or hypnotherapy. Like, I think that those are probably amazing, but I haven't personally felt drawn to trying those and experiencing those. And so I think as you put yourself as your own hero, you'll know that you can heal yourself. You will know how to do that. That might be with tools that involve another person. That might be with tools that involve a professional therapist or a life coach or another really good friend who has gone through something similar that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to heal yourself by yourself, but it means that you realize that you're in control of your own healing and coming from that place of a victim that you can put yourself in the space of a survivor. I, I really appreciate it, Trina. Um, I think it's really interesting that there's a so much study and then, discovery about the brain that it can heal itself is it right yeah it really is exciting how did how can you find out more about this research like where did you hear about it um about the brain so if you um search up neuroplasticity and i always like the website psychology today i feel like that's a reputable website that uses studies that have been you know, peer reviewed. And so, cause I feel like you can find information on the internet to back just about any opinion that you have, including two opposing. So I like to try and find reputable sites. And so I feel like psychology today is a really good website to find more information about things relating to mental health. And so if you hopped on psychology today and searched up neuroplasticity, you'll find research regarding how we have found that the brain neurons can heal themselves and the brain can regenerate. And unlike what we've thought before, where after you reach a certain age, your brain just kind of starts to lose function. We're finding that you can regrow and your brain can heal and, and get and change. And that's really exciting from somebody who after learning about PTSD and trauma and learning how that affects your brain and your brain development when you experience that as a child, I remember learning those things and just being really disappointed. Like, so am I just at this long-term disadvantage because I experienced abuse and trauma as a child and that affected my brain and changed the way that it grew? And so to learn about neuroplasticity and the way that our brains can continue to grow and heal was, was really exciting for me. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I really appreciate you so far sharing the story, sharing the tools, and really being vulnerable to come to the show and 
really share your story. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's been great chatting with you. I'm so glad that you've had me. Great. And then my last question, Tamina, is a gift that came from the adversity. Can you tell our audience what was the gift that came from it? Yes, I would love to. So I'd like to preface this by saying, because I remember a time where the idea of a gift of adversity really kind of turned me off. Like, no, being abused was not a gift. No, being sexually assaulted was not a gift. And so for me, the gift is not something that I was just given or that I received. And it certainly wasn't the experiences that I've had. The gifts are what I have given myself as I've gone through this journey. Um, and um, so some of the, the gifts that I've given myself and that I have gained and earned through the work of healing and surviving is being able to live authentically. I really feel very comfortable now just being who I am. I feel very comfortable with the fact that not everybody is going to like me. And that is perfectly okay. I no longer feel like I have to shift myself and morph into what this person's going to like or who this person wants me to be. I can just be who I am. And that's okay. It's perfectly okay to just be me. Um, I also feel that one of the greatest gifts is empathy um, and the ability to really, really hold space for other people and and love and accept them for who they are. Um, I feel like that's not something that everybody possesses. And I feel like that's something that I've, I've really, really loved to embrace is just this ability to just love other people for who they are. And along with that is this ability to kind of support others through their healing and their growth and their expansion um, because of my own perspective and the tool, the many different tools that I've used and the years of, of research and, and learning on my own, I feel like it's such a beautiful gift to be able to walk with somebody else on their path. And I just, I just am so thankful for the things that I have been able to take and learn and grow into because I'm now able to help pass those on to other people. One of my life coaches that I love and adore, she's um, often said that it's not just an opportunity for us to speak up and share our stories. It's our responsibility. And every time you share your story, you give someone else permission to share theirs. And to me, that's a beautiful thing to be able to empower other people to share their stories, to embrace their stories, and to be able to see them grow into beautiful, thriving people. Well, thank you so much for sharing the gift part of it. I know it's not, it has not been an easy journey or path. And you smiling, you are being present right now is a gift and being able to survive all of these things and yet being able to function and be present for yourself and then for others, that is a huge win. And by that mean, 
a lot of us who experience this adversity just can't survive, collapse, and and that's or, okay sometimes. Or all they're doing is surviving. Yes. I see many people who get stuck in this space of just surviving. And they think that they've overcome because they're not necessarily in this space of super toxic environment. But they're not in the space of thriving either because they're just just barely hanging on, right? They're just surviving. They're not thriving. They're not enjoying life. They're not able to really connect with themselves. And let's just tie into the first thing that you said about your life coaching in the business, helping other people transition. So you have identified that they were actually in the survival mode still. So how do you help people transition that? So some of my favorite tools to help people to learn and put in their own toolbox are um, self-love. Because I feel like when you really, truly love who you are, it shifts your whole perspective of the world. Learning to love myself is what's given me the ability to, to truly be authentic and to show up as my true self. Because I know, regardless of whether or not somebody comments on this podcast and says, Tarina is full of crap. I don't know what she's talking about. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I know that I'm still a valuable person. I know that my worth is still exactly the same, regardless of what that person says. And so teaching people, helping them to really cultivate that self-love. I also really, really strongly feel that people need to gain a greater understanding of boundaries. I feel like it's something that many people don't learn as children or in their families of origin. And so it's something that you have to learn as an adult is how to have healthy boundaries for yourself. And when you can do that, you can eliminate a lot of toxicity from your life and you'll be amazed at how much happier and healthier you'll be when you can clearly set boundaries. And then also helping people to figure out what they need in terms of self-care because I feel like self-care truly is a very important part of life. We spend too much time serving other people through our employment, through our families, in our friendships, in our relationships. A lot of times we just put everybody else first. And sometimes you have to. I cannot put myself first sometimes with my kids. Sometimes their needs come first. Like I have to wake up at six in the morning to get my oldest up for middle school every day. Like that is not for my best interest. <laughs> But I do that because he needs me to do that. Um, so in that moment, I have to put him first. I have to put him above me. Sometimes in life, we have to do that. But you also have to know where those boundaries need to be. So for me, um, self-care is really important to make sure that I recharge myself, to make sure that I give myself space to to play and to be curious and to explore. That's when I find myself being inspired. That's when I find myself seeing, acknowledging something that maybe needs healed and I can work on that. That's when I find myself 
you know, really feeling grounded and in tune more spiritually to myself and to whatever greater goodness is out there, however anybody wants to think about that. Um, and so self-care can be really, really powerful as well because you can't, I mean, it's as cliche as it comes, but you can't pour from an empty cup. So making sure that you're taking care of you and making yourself a priority in your own life. So I think those are, I mean, there's definitely different areas, but those are three things that I find really when you learn to, to really own your own worth and really love yourself when you have healthy boundaries and when you can put self-care as a priority, you can see major shifts in your life. And it's been so exciting as I've seen major shifts happen in my clients' lives as they've really implemented those things. That's amazing. Well, do you have any other uh, last word for our audience? Yeah, I would say that if you're listening and you want to start down the path of healing, to just take that first step, regardless of what that is. If that is just saying to yourself, my dad was abusive, then that's your first step. If your first step is going and talking to a therapist, then that's a great first step. If your first step is getting yourself onto a yoga mat and just being in tune and in sync with your body and your breath, let that be your first step. If your first step is taking out your journal and writing your emotions, let that be your first step. It doesn't matter what your first step is as long as you take that first step. It could be checking out a book from the library from Brene Brown and reading it. I say her because she's one of my favorites. <laughs> There's plenty out there, but yeah, just take the first step and where you are is exactly where you need to be. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I just wanted to share something from my book where I actually watched the Oscar winning um, speech from Tim Robinson that when he won, he played a role of child sex uh, abuse victim or Mystic River. And okay. uh, during the speech, he said, if you're suffering with this um, issue, going to see a counselor is the strongest thing that you can do. And that I've never heard of it. And I just like to go to the counseling. And I thought that was a shameful thing. And that I thought it was not the strong thing. So when he said that during the Oscar speech, there was such an empowering and shifting moment that it was the strong thing that anyone can do, the strongest thing that anyone can do. And then part of it is what you said about self-love, self-care, because you love yourself, you have to love yourself, and then you didn't learn that early on in your life, that you have to reprogram your brain to get to the stage where you feel loved by you, not anyone else. During the breath work that I had, I heard this mantra. I just want to share it with you, Tarina, and the audience. I'm the love that I seek. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's important to remember that everything we need, we have within us. That is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much again for coming to A Gift from Adversity. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. 
So everyone, thank you again for tuning into another episode of Gift of from Adversity. And I have wonderful guests lined up. I'm very excited to listen to people's adversity and tools and then the gift that came from it. And thank you again, everyone, and have a great night. Goodbye.